2: You're listening to Puck and Roll.
1: of the Puck and Roll podcast. I'm your host, Sebastian High, and I am joined by Joshua Rosa. Josh, a lot is going on. Well, a lot is about to go on in terms of the Habs and the outlook for the future, because the draft lottery is happening in less than 24 hours. What are your thoughts about that?
2: The calm before the storm, it's going to get pretty interesting in the next 24 hours, especially once this episode comes out on. On air, I'm excited, cautiously optimistic. I don't think that it's the be all end all that Montreal Canadiens get the first overall pick because they're basically guaranteed to get a really good player out of this. And no matter where they land, unless they pull like a Ottawa Senators and Pierre Maguire and pick something wild and crazy. They should get their their really good player that they needed. It just depends on where they land and where they're going to end up. I think Shane Wright's going to be number one. There's been some doubt, but I think he's going to be. There's it.
1: always doubt before, like before the draft comes every single year. We we even saw that in McDavid's year of like, oh maybe Eichel will be number one. Like no, it n- never happens. Yeah, right, like. Like th- thing is, I I think every year, like, or most of the time, when there is doubt, like it's mainly just because like people want those big juicy headlines. At the same time, there's always reason to doubt about a player going first overall because in a lot of draft classes, the first overall pick doesn't end up being the best player in the draft class. Like we saw that with Nico Heishir in what 2017, I think, uh, right? And that was like the the Kale McCarr and Elias Pedersen year. Same thing, like, I mean, Rasmus Dallin has been excellent, excellent this season, but is he actually going to be the best player out of that draft class? Who knows? It's not, it's not set in stone just yet. So yeah, like Shane Wright is going to go first overall, unless the team takes a big swing on either like Yuri Slavkovsky or Logan Cooley, which both of those I, I could see happening, especially if like Ottawa gets the first overall pick and goes with Slavkovsky. But yeah, it's, it's going to be Shane Wright. Like, I, I'd be pretty shocked if it's not. And, but the nice thing is, at least, like, from my perspective, is that I'm not stressed about the Habs, like, wherever they, they draft at all, because I, I don't think that the gap between Shane Wright and, say, Logan Cooley or Frank Nazer or David Yerichek or Brad Lambert is all that big. I, th- I, I do think that Shane Wright is the clear cut. Number one, but it's not like an astronomical drop off like it was like in the McDavid year, for instance. It's just like he is just the safest player to pick number one, whereas players that go after him could still become the best players in the draft class. It's just the likelihood of that is a little bit lower and their potential for, I guess, busting of like maybe not becoming the biggest impact NHL players is a bit higher than it is with, with Shane Wright, which is why he is the number one prospect. But yeah, it's, it's just an exciting time for Habs fans because a big part of our franchise moving forward is going to be determined tomorrow, which is massive. But I think before we really delve into the, the draft, we should probably take a step back and just look at this season as a whole for the Montreal Canadiens. Like, what did they do to end up in this situation? Like, they have the first overall pick. Oh, sorry. They have the the best chances of getting the first overall pick because they were the worst team in the league this year. Like, what a fall from grace, right? From Stanley Cup finalists to 32nd in the league. The first ever team to finish 32nd in the NHL. You're Canazien de Montréal. So, Josh, what are your thoughts on just, like, the season as a whole? Maybe some... Like specific players that you want to mention, like their performances this season for either good, forgettable, or bad reasons?
2: Well, when we're talking about how this happened, I think a big part of it is the lack of leadership that ended up in that locker room for the entirety of the first half of the season, because you have, by all accounts, a rookie NHL head coach who came in and coached half of the year last year, and the playoffs coming in. And then you lose a captain, the de facto captain, Carey Price, Corey Perry, an assistant, Eric Stahl, basically just good veteran leadership, And that's a big part of why Montreal s- started losing and wasn't able to pull out of it. They just didn't have the guys to just sit the team down and say, you know what, we got to just get back to what we're doing and get back to a winning habit rather than just kind of not knowing exactly how to deal with this big loss and loss to the leadership room. And that's just where I think it really snowballed into that. It's going to be – interesting to see how the defense works itself out next year because that was the big knock on Martin St-Louis this year was that his defense schemes were not the best, put it lately, and it looks like we're going to have him back behind the bench.
1: Oh, for sure. It would be shocking if he weren't back. Like Both Kent Hughes and Martin St-Louis have expressed their mutual desire to Extend the contract.
2: I don't know. I heard some. I read some article on by a friend of ours saying that maybe we should look at a recently fired coach that just got fired today.
1: Yeah, I I, happen, but I mean, if Barry Trotz enters the Habs organization, it's not going to be in a coaching role. Like, there. This thing is Saint Louis will be back next year. I, I, I would, again, I'd be shocked if he weren't. And you're not going to hire Barry Trotz as an assistant coach because why would he take that job? But if it's like an executive position, that could be interesting. Like, I I wouldn't mind adding Barry Trotz to the organization, but I think it's more likely that it takes on a job and like a head coaching job in maybe Detroit or Philadelphia, maybe Toronto if they fire Sheldon Keefe if they get bounced in the first round again. Yeah, no, I I think St. Louis will, will be back. But I think the very interesting thing with the Habs this season is just the roller coaster ride of emotions for fans. With the way the season started under Ducharme, fans were just depressed the entire time because nothing was going right. Nick Suzuki was playing well, but that was the literal only bright spot. Like, nothing else was going well at all. But then, with St. Louis, the team became fun to watch while still losing games, which was good for the tank, I guess, and Cole Caulfield, just on fire. He went almost a point a game under Marte St. Louis. I think he got, like, 34 points in 37 games or something around there. I don't
2: remember the exact numbers, but if he scored at this pace over the full year, he would have scored 50 goals.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I uh, actually I think I think it was it went down to forty five goal pace by the end of it because he went through I a slight. I
2: tried to add it up on my calculator the other day, and that's what I remember, but I In... could be wrong.
1: I'm pretty sure I... he played thirty seven games under St. Louis, and he scored what twenty two goals? Twenty two divided by thirty seven is that times? Okay, forty eight point seven goal point. Seven five goal pace on the brink of 50 goal pace. Yes.
2: about there, yeah.
1: Right around there. Like, yeah, Cole Caulfield was tremendous down the stretch. And obviously, there were some defensive, well, many defensive woes with Caulfield that we that we noticed. But at the same time, you're not paying well, what what was you actually starting to pay Cole Caulfield once he actually gets the big contract? which he is going to get, which we can also talk about. Um, but you're not you're not going to be paying him for his defensive ability. You're paying him because he's an electrifying goal scorer. And with the puck on his stick, there hasn't been a have since... I mean, Subban maybe, but like Kovalev maybe, that just gets fans that excited every single time he, t- he touches the puck. Like just a truly dynamic and electrifying player to watch. And Habs fans needed that because Nick Suzuki is a tremendous talent and he pulls off some incredible skill moves, but it's not like every time he touches the puck fan, it's just like a quietness that goes, it spreads around the bell center when Cole Coffin has the puck because everyone knows something fun is about to happen. And that's just a very special thing to have in this organization. And, yeah, it's, it's an exciting thing to have on the team. But what are, what are maybe some like storylines on the team that we want to look at that are maybe perhaps that, that we look at less over the course of this podcast than like the Caulfields and Suzukis of the world?
2: Well, the always interesting logjam in the bottom six is going to be an ongoing issue for especially how much Montreal is paying everyone down there like are we going to see Ryan Paling again next year which I don't I it, considering what he did this year I don't really want to see him like he, given he him wasn't so he
1: wasn't great this season
2: yeah and it's just like oh maybe next year he'll take that step maybe next year he'll grab that spot and it's just never happened and I just don't think it's ever going to get there, and maybe if he goes off to another organization that has that clear-cut role where he's not constantly bouncing in and out, line up up and down the AHL to NHL, maybe he can find a spot on an NHL roster full-time, but I don't think it's going to happen in Montreal. And then who's going to... We've got Suzuki and Dvorak. They're going to be the centers and Jake Evans is going to be of course actually.
1: ideally as a fourth line centerman. Like yeah, he, he, really does thrive on the fourth line. Uh, when he's on the third line, he just, uh, he's a fun player, and I love, I love watching him play. But he's a fourth line center. He can't, like the third line workload is just a bit too much for him.
2: Yeah, of course, I agree totally. Yeah. So then, who's Who's gonna be there and who's gonna who are we gonna pay with the amount of money that we're paying to everyone else to fit into that role? Is it gonna be someone like Shane Wright? Is Shane are we gonna draft Shane Wright and is he gonna be the guy right away, or are you gonna to wanna to kind of slow him down a little bit? I don't you you're very familiar with Shane Wright. If Montreal drafts Wright, are they putting him in the NHL right one hundred percent? full on
1: I would expect them to but I would not want them to I think that Shane Wright if like ideally would be given an extra season in Kingston because he had a good year in Kingston but he was not the dominant force that you would expect from a player who scored 39 goals as a 15 year old in the OHL and I think if he's given a full season I, I'd also I really want him to get, get traded out of Kingston. I I cannot stand watching the Kingston Frontenacs play hockey. Their coaching is among the worst I've seen at the junior level. It is painful. Their power play strategy for Shane Wright is painful. Like a third of the time on the power play, they put him as a net front presence. When you have a shooter and playmaker like Shane Wright, don't use him as a screen. Like what are you doing? Like ah. Um, like infuriating other third of the time they're using him on in like the Nick Suzuki spot, but Shane Wright has this beautiful one timer and playmaking ability where you don't want him there because he also hasn't quite developed the ability to like like excel in that spot like Nick Suzuki does because of just deception and stuff but He's so good from the Cole Caulfield spot on the left circle because he's a great playmaker. He has a tremendous shot. And from that spot, you can do both of those things beautifully. But the Kingston coaching staff clearly is like, oh, you know how we have a superstar player? Uh, Let's not use him in the best spot on the power play because why would we do that? Uh, And anyways, the Kingston coaching is just frustrating. So ideally, I'd want him to play for a different team. Um, But either way, I think an extra year in the OHL would do his confidence a lot of good because also we've seen this in Montreal countless times of rushing 18, 19-year-old kids to the NHL because you just want a contributor right now, whereas in reality, you want these kids to dominate a league, learn to dominate a league, gain that confidence, gain that swagger that players get when they dominate leagues, give them as much time as you think they could possibly need before bringing them over. And then ideally you have a top six player immediately. Whereas if you bring over Shane Wright next season, he's your third line centerman. And it's a a kind of cocky situation all over again. Again, not saying he'd be that and that, but we're also saying the same thing with the New York Rangers, right? With Lafreniere and Capocacco as third liners, where it's like, okay, they're not going to be in the fourth line because that's like the the grittier line, but it's just third line minutes where it's like, okay, your line mates aren't the highest quality. You're not getting the most minutes where it's like with these players with tremendous talent, you want to put them in positions to succeed. So I would, I want to see Shane right back in the OHL next season, no matter where he gets drafted, but I would still expect the Habs to at least give him nine games in the NHL. I'm like, a trial run and see how it goes, but I would hope it wouldn't happen. But yeah, but I I think what I'm probably more interested in next season for the Habs is just how the defensive core shakes out, because we're going to see Caden Gooley make his transition to pro hockey as well. And with Gooley, Justin Barron, and Jordan Harris, you have three rookies that could crack the lineup. However, we have heard uh, Kent Hughes say that he only expects one or two rookies to make the defensive core. So you're going to have a bit of a battle between those three guys of who cracks the NHL lineup, or maybe they're all impressive, like really impressive in training camp, and they all make it. But that's going to be definitely a storyline to follow, especially if Jeff Petrie gets traded away and is not replaced with an equally established player.
2: Yeah, I'm going to cringe at the defensive core if Jeff Petrie gets traded and that was brought in because like, he's a top pairing defenseman when he's on his game and he can play like it. At the very least, he's a very good top four defensive player and just a player that Montreal can't replace right now internally, like Romanov's good and he's getting better every year, but he's not going to be like, I think he might be getting top pairing minutes next. I don't know if he's ready for it. He's definitely going to be in the top four and getting a heavy amount of minutes based on what he did this year. But the thing is with those three guys, those spots are open to take like the Montreal's defense looks awful so there's tons of room for these young guys like i'm really impressed with jordan harris this small sample size that he's been in the poise he has with the puck is just incredible in all three areas of the ice in my opinion and Barron i think did well as well but then got injured so it's harder to really figure it out but i think those two have the biggest Shots of making the NHL and having a positive impact. Just the style that they play their game and the maturity that they have for how little experience is very surprising. And I think paired with a more veteran player, they could bring something positive to the team next year and really grow beyond this, maybe a really sturdy top four option, both of them. Gouli, I think he's a bit green too young maybe in one more year just as also that I think those two are the better option and that Montreal will pick someone up to fill out that line but he's looking great as well for a future blue line option it's exciting to see how this will all fall together
1: I've been really impressed with with Kane Gooley this season. ever since he's been traded to the Edmonton Oil Kings in the WHL, like that coaching staff and development team has been tremendous for him. Like he has gained so much confidence in transition with the puck. like he, he, the biggest knock on Gooley's game was always that he's tremendous defensively. like what he does is he always like like if some if an attacker tries to gain the offensive zone on his side of the ice, they always fail like he just he gets like he he forces turnovers constantly but we what he would do is he would constantly cause a turnover takes the puck waits with the puck looks up ice sees a passing option passes it and it's immediately intercepted and it goes back the other way and then he retakes the puck and then he turns it over again right where it's like okay he's amazing at like forcing turnovers but he's always giving the puck back right this season, he's grown tremendously in that aspect of the game. And he is way more of a positive value player than I ever believed he could be in transition, which is really impressive. And he's looking very pro-ready to me. Like, if he's not on the Habs next season, he's going to be playing top pairing minutes in Laval. And I... I'd personally be almost more comfortable with him in the NHL than Justin Barron next season, which is not at all a knock on Barron's game. I think Barron was actually very impressive in the small set. Like he only played five games with the Habs before getting injured, but I was really impressed with Justin Barron. He was way more poised than I remembered him being uh, in his draft year. So he, he, he's grown a lot. However, I do think he could use one extra year in Laval uh, there were a couple times when uh, I-, I thought his inexperience and youth really shone through of just, um, I guess, he kind of, like, put on the blinders with the puck sometimes, uh, didn't see the pressure coming before it arrived, and just, like, uh, like his play on the puck, especially in the defensive zone, got me a bit nervous sometimes. Uh, Whereas Caden Gooley, I think, is more refined in that aspect of the game. So I I could definitely see a scenario of uh, like a bottom pairing next season of Caden Gooley playing on the left and Jordan Harris on the right on the third pairing. Because Jordan Harris played almost his entire university career on the right, despite being left shot. And I could definitely see that happening. Uh, but if all three of them make the NHL next season, I'd be over the moon. Like that would be so much fun. And it would also put the Habs totally in line for that tanking season for Connor Bedard, Matthew Mitchkov, or Adam Fantilli, And that would bring me much joy because uh, next season would be the year to tank because there are legitimately generational talents available in the 2023 draft class. And that really would be lovely to have a Genuine superstar on the Habs. But, yeah, we'll see what happens in the offseason. Uh, if Hughes and Gordon want to actually not contend next season, but uh, get a more of a winning lineup than they've had this year. But, yeah, I, I think we can also then talk about, like, which players we think will not return next season, whether it's because their contracts expire or because we expect them to be traded. So I think some of like the the big names that could be moved include Mike Hoffman, Yul Armia, obviously Jeff Petrie, and who else? Any other names in there, Josh?
2: You could go really off the wall and say something like Drew Ann, but I don't think that he's going to get much Like the big name that everything's going to center around this offseason is Jeff Petrie because even though he asked for a trade halfway through, that was before Martin St. Louis, and since then Petrie has said that he's changed, he's not exactly changed his mind, but the last half of the season has put a different perspective on things. Otherwise, it's hard to see a lot of these people. Being traded because of the amount of money that they're getting and what they did this year. Like, Montreal got a, their best trade chips with Tyler Chapoli, Arturi Lekkinen, and Ben Shot. And there's not really a whole ton left to pick at. Like, Yoel Armia, if he had a halfway decent year, he could get a decent return, but he was absolutely awful, and I don't think I could see any team trying to take a run at him even with how much money he's at and how bad he got. The only one I could see is Mike Hoffman because statistically, he had a half-decent year. He put out some goals on a terrible team, and there was interested in him in the past. I don't know how much he can get. Maybe mid-round, a couple of mid-round picks, maybe a low-ranking prospect. But out of the trade picks, I think he's the most likely to go, and I think it would be good if he if we got something out of Mike Hoffman, because it depends on the way that the team goes. But if we want to kind of go young, go tank, then I think Hoffman should be moved for a younger model.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think Hoffman. Um, if if Kent Hughes gets a decent offer on it for him, if it's like a a third and a fourth round pick or a second round pick or something, I could definitely see him pulling the trigger because he he also did say in like the exit interviews that one of the priorities in the offseason is to just free up the cap space and just for the for the upcoming seasons because, again, it's easier to work with and you want to also have the cap flexibility when you're a, well, a bad team because you can make trades and really get a lot of value by trading for bad contracts, right? And especially in this, like, it's no longer a flat cap world, right? Like, it's going up by, like, 1.5 million next season, But it's still like a relatively flat cap world. So cap space has a ton of value. And that's something that he's obviously going to look to exploit. But yeah, like I I think that like the Habs season was one of the most chaotic that I've personally witnessed as a Habs fan. Um, Just the constant, well, I want to say up and down, but it was really just like down down. Down, right of just down with Ducharme. The spike when Stanley we got hired, and then like, oh, we're playing fun but still losing for like the last month and a bit of the season. Um But yeah, it's it's been quite a wild ride. But yeah, I, I guess we should probably then start talking about the draft because that really is like you you mentioned that Jeff Petrie is the focal point of the Habs off season, but. I think I'd argue that the draft is, right? Obviously, Jeff Petrie of all the, the individual current have players, for sure. Uh, but it's the draft that everything is rotating around because, well, it's massive. It, they ha- Montreal has 14 picks currently uh, with, what, four in the first two rounds? So, yeah.
2: That's correct, yeah.
1: I believe it's four in the first two rounds. And then they have another uh, three picks in the third, three picks in the fourth, and then one pick in the fifth and the sixth, and then two in the seventh. So they got a lot of draft capital, and they're going to use most of it. Obviously, they might move some for next year's picks or for players or stuff, but you can be sure that the Habs are going to draft at least 10 players this year. And... That is going to be huge. Whether or not they get the first overall pick is irrelevant because just draft day as a whole is going to be massive for the Montreal Canadiens. All right. So this is always my personal favorite section of the episodes because I get to talk nerdy stuff about the draft, which is my favorite thing to do in the world. Um, So for Montreal's first round pick, I think I just wanted to outline some of the possible players that montreal will add uh with uh, with their top three selection um if if montreal gets the first overall pick i know some people are saying oh maybe slavkovsky or cooley are going to go first but nine times out of ten shane wright is going to be the first overall pick and in shane wright what you get is a tremendously intelligent centerman who projects to be a 70 to 80 point guy. So not like the 100, 120 point superstar that some people might expect from a first overall pick, but you are getting a, a player that plays a game that is not dissimilar to that of Nick Suzuki. And Nick Suzuki has really endeared himself to Montreal Canadiens fans. So I think the prospect, like the idea of adding not a necessarily second Nick Suzuki, but that type of player having two of those in your system is a tremendous thing to, to possibly have, right? Like and like, I mean, like Nick Suzuki isn't really exactly like like a, a high end number one centerman, but he is playing as a number one centerman, and having two of those, like a one A one B type situation, would be tremendous for the Montreal Canadiens moving forward. And I think if the Habs do. Pick first uh, first overall, Shane Wright is the correct pick with that selection. But if the Habs end up with the second or third overall picks, it's where things get a little bit more interesting in terms of possible variables because there aren't really an established second or third best players in this draft class. I know a lot of people have Logan Cooley and Yuri Slavkovsky in those two and three slots in some order. but it's not like they've really established themselves in those spots. So Montreal could not go off the board because I, I don't think it would be going off the board because I actually have Logan Cooley ranked at five currently and Slavkovsky gets seven. Though, I know Cooley at five may sound harsh, but it's more that my rankings of two to five are as tight as it possibly gets. It's, it really is splitting hairs between those players for me personally. Uh, so it's between Brad Lambert, Frank Nazer, David Yerchek, and Logan Cooley. You could convince me picking any of those four guys at number two. They all are highly talented, high upside players that play that, a dynamic style of hockey with a very aggressive play in the offensive zone for, like, for all of them, which is why I really love all of their games and why adding Any of those four guys to the HABS organization, I think would be tremendous for this team. And I guess just to like break down their games a little bit. So, Brad Lambert is the most dynamic player in this draft class. And I don't think it's very close with the next most dynamic player. He has the best toolkit of any player in the draft class. He is a tremendous, like an elite skater already. He is one of the fastest players I've seen as a draft eligible prospect. And he just knows how to attack the middle, uh, which is really great. And he doesn't usually attack the middle with his body, like like by, by carrying the puck up the middle, but with his passing, he's always, always, always looking to pass the middle, which is one of the most important things for me for playmakers, because what you don't want is a playmaker always just passing around the outside, because you're never going to really create dangerous, Opportunities with that. What you want is to just attack the slot constantly. And speaking of attacking the slot, that is the entire game of Frank Nazer. And it's why I love him so much. What his identity as a player is to attack the slot no matter what, doesn't matter, just always attacking the slot. And it is a tremendous strategy to just watch because he is one of the fastest players in the draft class. And he has a Great shot. He's one of the best finishers in the draft. And I'm actually a big fan of his playmaking ability as well. And he, honestly, I think that he's a better defensive player than both Shane Wright and Logan Cooley. Uh, And it's also why I think that he would be a great player for the Habs to add because he's an all-rounder. He's tenacious as anything. You could really learn from Brendan Gallagher of how to play that tenacious NHL game. I think he'd be a great addition. David Yeracek, I think, is established as the best defenseman in the draft class. He's a right shot defenseman, which the Habs desperately need. Uh, and he is one of the most aggressive defensemen in the offensive zone that you could imagine. He is so much fun to watch. He pinches constantly uh, against pro competition. And I just think that he has one of the higher upsides of all the players in this draft class. I think he could turn into like an Alex Petrangelo style player. Uh which is always something you want to add. Uh, and I, I personally just think that his upside is better than that of Logan Cooley. Speaking of Logan, uh, sorry, of, uh, then Simon Nemetz, Sorry. I want to transition to Logan Cooley afterwards, which is why his name was in my head. Uh, Logan Cooley, tremendously skilled, uh, more dynamic than Shane Wright, in my opinion. And he is just very, very skilled. He plays a game that honestly can be compared to that of like a Sebastian Aho, where he is primarily a playmaker, but he does have a good shot as well. So he is fun. A lot of people have been praising his defensive game. I'm lukewarm on him defensively. I think that he's mainly just a fun dynamic offensive piece. And if defense comes that still has to grow into his game. But if the has pick Logan Cooley second overall, I am very happy about it. I think he is a tremendous player and yeah, they're just a bunch. Like, I just think that that, that grouping of players is so tight. And if any of those go second overall, I'm happy. Yuri Slavkovsky, I think is a very good prospect, but I just, I would not want the Habs to pick him second or third over overall. I, I don't think his upside is really quite that of the others. Um, and I personally just want the Habs to draft based on upside more than anything else. But if the Habs add him, he's immediately the best prospect in the pool because obviously Cole Caulfield's graduated from the prospect pool, uh, and he would immediately be the best prospect in the pool. So it's not at all an insult to Slavkovsky. I just think he's more in that seven, eight, nine range than that one, two, three range that that a lot of people have him in. But yeah, I think that's my little breakdown of. The prospects that the Habs could possibly and hopefully draft in the top three this year.
2: So I got a question for you about that um, before we move on to looking at some other prospects. So we both we know about Montreal and the um, environment that you come up in when you've been drafted in Montreal and the high scrutiny. Unfortunately, that scrutiny doesn't seem to translates super well with the juniors that I founded or leagues in other countries. So when you're looking at Brad Lambert in number two, he like it's seeing him you could see where that is. But for a lot of these really intense fans that you would get would look at his numbers and say why in the world, are we drafting this guy at number two? Are you? Would you be worried if, say, Montreal gets second pick and picks Brad Lambert? That just the pressure and the scrutiny. Like, because I feel if he gets picked in number two and people see that, they're gonna be picking part of the game to no end just because of the numbers. Unfortunately, do you think that that would be? a problem in Montreal or do you think you can kind of get above it with this play?
1: I really wouldn't worry about that because the chances of Montreal picking Brad Lambert top three or anyone picking Brad Lambert top three are next to none. I am really high on him personally, but he is one of the riskier players in that, that, like among top and first round picks. I think it's way more likely that he drops the twenties than if he goes top five I'd be pretty shocked if he went top five, despite the skill set that I really believe in. And I would not hesitate to pick him top five, but I also don't have a job on the line as all these scouts for NHL teams do, right? So there are differences there too. I, on, at, at the same time, I obviously for the first couple months after the draft, yeah, that would be a concern of just that production in Finland that just hasn't come despite being as pro players. However, I think that there's a decent chance that Brad Lambert goes and plays in the WHL next season. And I would, I'm, I'm not really a betting man, but I would put down decent money that Brad Lambert lights the WHL on fire next season and shuts up a lot of the people that have doubted his skill because he is just so tremendously skilled that he even in a defensive league like the, like the WHL he would stand out as one of the top players in the league and I truly believe that give him two months of WHL play and immediately all the doubts from fans of just because he just hasn't produced in Finland it goes away pretty fast because I I, I I believe in his game that much that I also believe that if he played in the CHL this season, he'd be a lock as a top five pick this year.
2: Okay. So we've talked about Montreal's first, first round pick, but they've got a second one uh, as courtesy of Calgary this year, obviously don't know what's going to happen. They're currently down 2-1 in their series against Dallas. That they are. Um, yeah, and Dallas has been taking the defensive game to them pretty good so far. This, So it's possible that they crash out of the first round, so we'll say that they don't make it out of the first round. There's a, two interesting guys that have climbed up that are kind of in the range that Montreal could use that would be right defenseman Seamus Casey or the center winger Philip Mesar I'm interested in hearing about there
1: yeah both of those players are really fun um Seamus Casey is a really interesting case because I think there's a decent chance that he drops like the second round um he is a highly dynamic player and um with the puck on a stick in the offensive zone, like he is an offensive defenseman. We'll make that clear from the get-go. Uh, defensively, I would say inconsistent would be the best descriptor. He has some very nice defensive moments, but just lacks the consistency, can't get exposed defensively. He isn't the biggest guy. However, with the puck on a stick in the offensive zone, similar to Lane Hudson, uh, who is one of my, my absolute favorites in the draft class, And I have him ridiculously high. Like, I don't think I've seen anyone have him as high as I currently do, uh, which is at, like, 11, I think, on my board. Um, But Seamus Casey is obviously also a teammate of Lane Hudson's with the US NTDP, and his style of game is really predicated on playmaking in the offensive zone, getting down low in the the offensive zone, using his – like really high end footwork and deception uh, with the puck to get by the forwards uh, with the puck and attack in the middle. Like he, this is one of the biggest things I look for for players: is do they tend to attack the middle? And it's also one of the reasons that I'm not the highest on guys like Riley Kidney is because he is very skilled, but he doesn't have that. Instinct to constantly attack the middle, which limits his effectiveness in the offensive zone. However, guys like Seamus Casey and Lane Hudson, and as we covered previously, Frank Nazer, who's just like a legend at this and why I love the guy, um, just attack the middle, right? Whether it be with passing or stick handling or power moves or whatever it is, like however you get the puck to the middle, if you get it there on as the, either your own stick or a teammate's stick, it's important. And Seamus Casey is very good at that as a playmaker. So I, I think he'd be a really interesting swing to take because he's one of those like high-skilled defensemen that's going to go th- the, through the college route, which is one of the better routes to take if you are one of those undersized but skilled defensemen. I think that could be a, a very interesting swing, either with the Calgary first-round pick or with the Habs' second-round pick, which is basically a first-round pick because it's going to be 33rd overall. Philip Machar is another really fun one because he is a tremendous skater, uh, and he's very dynamic with the puck, and he's been playing against pro competition in Slovakia uh, with uh, Poprad, and he, yeah, he, he's very very fun to watch like he's one of the more fun players to watch in this draft class uh i would say uh i'd be comfortable taking him in that like as of like the 15th 15th overall range is is where i'd start like looking at him as a a real option so if he's around at like 25 where the calgary pick's probably going to be or 33 with the half second round pick happily like if, if he's still on the board there. Like I, I would not think twice about picking him unless a guy like Brad Lambert falls to that slot. And then like, I'm, I'm picking Brad Lambert, but unless there's like, like a real obvious pick that I would personally make Phil Machar would be a great option in that slot. And I think he'd actually fit the Habs really well because Kent Hughes has said multiple times that he wants to build, build this team on speed, skill, and intelligence. Philip Machar is one of the more intelligent forwards in this draft class, and he plays a game based on speed and skill. So that is a perfect, perfect, perfect fit with what the Habs want to go with like as an organization. So honestly, both those guys I would happily add to the Habs organization. I think they'd be good organizational fits uh, on top of being very fun players to watch, for sure. Yeah, and I, I think with that, we can actually kind of conclude this episode, which is a bit of a shorter one, but we can't we got off to a very late start with this episode. Plus it's a panel of two, so that always shortens it a little bit. But and we're both a bit under the weather too. So lots of reasons to cut this episode a little bit shorter than normal. And I regret to inform everyone that there will be no this day in Habs history today. Uh yes, it is heartbreaking. Uh but yeah I think at this point we are just very excited for the draft lottery. And with that, we're going to hope for the best with the first overall pick, but if the Habs don't get it, please do not fret. The Habs are going to get a very, very good player, no matter what, that is going to help this organization in the long run, and potentially in the short run as well, depending on what the Habs management decides to do with the player they pick. And yeah, so Josh, thank you so much for joining me for this episode, and we'll see you again We'll be very soon.